right, y'all ready to do this one more time? Okay, you know the drill. If you have your Bibles, let me see them. Let me see them in the air. Let me see them, let me see them. Okay? Hey, friends, this book right here, this was the book that she had clutched with her as Mose passes away and he doesn't enter into the promised land with him. You can read that story right here, actually. At the end of Deuteronomy, we see God's justice and his mercy on display with Moses. But as he passes, I love the conversation that went down with the people of Israel. Right? They're like, how are we supposed to hear from God now? Like, what are we supposed to do? And they're like, well, Moses always, he went up on a mountaintop. Should, should we go on a mountain too? Which, by the way, during the uh, game show yesterday, one of y'all answered the question, when, what, when was the the beginning of mountaineering. Do you remember this question? What was the answer? Like 17? Okay, what about Moses on Mount Sinai in like the 13th century BC? If one of you was like 13th century BC, Moses and, and, uh, you know, Mount Sinai, I would have been like, give that person points, okay? I'm just saying, it was like slightly before 1783. But I I love that moment where they go, do we have to go up on a mountain to hear from God? And if, if we're not careful, we treat God that way too. We can come up to human, we can have this awesome week, this awesome experience, and then we can kind of count down the days until we get to go to camp again. Or, or, or maybe if it's, it's on a smaller scale, maybe you go to a youth group or, or you attend a church and you go, well, well that's where I meet God. That's where I'm, I'm present with him. And I love how this story ends where God is going to speak to his people, not through one individual, but he said, I'm going to give you my word. Right? The greatest story ever told that's hardly ever told in its entirety. And Genesis through Revelation, friends, cherish this book. If, if somebody wrote you a love letter and you just looked at it and you went, and you just kind of like read like a couple sentences of it and then you just turned it over and you're like, eh, maybe I'll get to it later. I don't think many of us would go, oh, so you love them back. No, if somebody wrote you a letter and if somebody was like expressing their love for you and you just kind of went, eh. But, but don't we do that with God's word? I know I do. There's plenty of times where I take this book for granted and I just go, man, I got multiple copies of this thing in, in multiple translations and I can just go, yeah, it's, it's the Bible for sure. And, and I have to constantly remind myself of truth. Why? Because we forget that this is God's word, that it's given to us, that it's, it's the God of the universe revealing himself to us through his word. Okay, so if you have your Bibles, open up to Deuteronomy chapter 30. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy chapter 30. Okay, and we're going to read what we just saw happen in front of us. Okay, Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 11. And I love this moment where, where Moses is going to pass away and he's going to kind of pass the torch to a guy named Joshua. And we're going to watch this nation of Israel enter into the promised land, but not before God gives them his word, before God starts sowing into the nation of Israel, hey, this is who I am. This is going to be my word so that you can actively remember who I am. Friends, why do we have to remember? Because we forget. I, I remember I, I grew up going to a, a Lake Almanor growing up. I, we had, my grandparents had a lake house up there, and we would always go up. And for whatever reason, um, 
I love water. Like, I love wakeboarding, water skiing. Like, I just love being in water. But for, for some reason, dark water, like, terrifies me. It's just like, it's like something, it's, I know it's the same water, but it just, there's something about it. Like going in the ocean at night or being in the lake at night, I'm just like, mm-mm. Like I, I just don't do it. And I think I was recently, when you have a young kid, you start re-watching all the movies that you watched as a kid. And I recently re-watched The Little Mermaid. When was the last time you watched The Little Mermaid, right? Has it been like recent, last year, okay? It had been a long time for me. It had been a long time for me. And I, when I was watching The Little Mermaid, Ursula and her eels, they're terrifying. Like, there was like multiple moments where I'm like covering my daughter's eyes, like, golly, Disney, like, calm down, right? Like, those eels are terrifying. And I think it was like a trigger for me realizing like maybe the reason I'm so scared of dark water is because I just assume that like Ursula's down there, like, and her little eels, they're going to come and get me. But being the youngest of, of four siblings, my siblings knew that I was terrified of dark water. And so we would go out on the lake my, uh, on like a pontoon boat at night and my siblings would all be like, let's swim underneath the pontoon boat, right? Because it's, it's got the pontoons and the platform. You can kind of go up underneath and it's all echoey. And I was like, yeah, 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 let's swim under the pontoon boat. Like I'm trying to be the cool younger sibling that's like down, right? So I swim down there and then all of a sudden they all like disappeared. I'm like, guys, guys, <laughs> right? Like just losing my mind. And then they start kind of like nibbling at my heels and like pinching me. And I'm like, <laughs> just losing my mind under this boat. But, but guys, all I have to do in this moment, right, is pause and remember I'm in a lake. Ursula's not real. There are no eels in this lake. Nothing's going to harm me. This is the exact same water that I was sitting in hours before with a life jacket on going, hit it. And I love water. But in the moment, my emotions are betraying what I know to be true. And this happens to us as humans all the time. I promise you there's going to be moments in the coming weeks and the coming months where your emotions are going to betray what you know to be true. And this is where God's word comes in so solid and God's character comes in so solid if we can be people that commit to reminding ourselves of what we know to be true then when our emotions flare up and betray us and try to get us to grasp onto something that we know isn't true up here when we can go back to his word we can ground and, and ground ourselves and understand in who he is and who we are in light of who he is does that make sense Deuteronomy chapter 30, read with me, start in verse 11. Now what I'm commanding you today is not too difficult for you or beyond your reach. It is not up in heaven so that you have to ask who will ascend into heaven to get it and proclaim it to us that we may obey it. Nor is it beyond the sea so that you may have to ask who will cross the sea to get it and proclaim it to us so that we may obey it. Verse 14, no, the word is very near to you. It is in your mouth and it is in your heart so that you may obey it. See, I set before you today life and prosperity, death and destruction. For I command you today to love the Lord your God, number one, to walk in obedience, number two, and to keep his commands, number three, his decrees and laws. Then you will live in increase and the Lord your God will bless you and the land you are entering to possess. Skip down to verse 19. This day I call the heavens and the earth as witness against you that I have set before you life and death, blessings and curses. Now choose life. 
Y'all remember the, the verse that Jeb read when he was up here? It was, it was John chapter 10, verse 10. He says, the thief came to steal, kill, and destroy. That we have a very real enemy that from the very beginning of time in Genesis chapter 3 has been trying to get us to believe two things. Don't trust God and don't trust what he says. You remember this? We talked about this night one. Don't trust God. Don't trust what he says. You have a very real enemy that has come to steal, kill, and destroy. That's what he wants for you in your life. When you make those one-degree compromises, when you get off track, when you leave your Bible unread, when you neglect the community of believers that wants to come alongside you and sharpen you and challenge you, these are all things that our very real enemy goes, got him. I've come to steal, kill, and destroy. But Jesus says, I have come that they might have life and life abundant. And I love that Moses says, now choose life. There's going to be this crossroads in front of us on a daily basis. Remember Galatians chapter 5 verse 16? Walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. This is going to be the wrestle on a daily basis. Do Do I choose life? Do I choose the Spirit or do I choose death? How do we go about this? See, friends... The Bible says that uh, about itself in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, that all scripture is God-breathed and it's useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12 says the word of God, it's, it's alive and active. It's sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. See this book? It's not just like any other book. Hey, where are, my, where are my people out here that like love reading? Where are you at? Wow, that is a shocking amount of you, okay? Are you all the same people that like running? Jeez Louise, okay? I've never understood that. I've, I've, I've been an athlete my entire life, but I, I chase after a ball, okay? The people that are like, I just like to run. I'm like, why? <laughs> What's wrong with you? They're like, this is fun. No, it's not, okay? Okay, where are my friends like me that like you don't really like reading? It's like maybe harder for you. You get bored. Okay, cool. Uh, it's literally like 50-50. Y'all are weird. Um, I, I've always been the type of person that would like to like reading. Does that make sense? Like I, I want to be the type of person that's like, mm, I just want to cozy up with a good book and just read. Like, I want to be that person, but I cozy up with a good book, and I read, like, half a chapter, and then I'm like, it looks fun outside. <laughs> like, I just, I want to do something different. Like, I just, I want to go, and, and I, I don't know. I would like to like reading, but when it comes to the Bible, sometimes I think we treat this book like we treat every other book, and we just go, well, okay, I've, I've read that before, and, and, and maybe we start here and we kind of flip through pages and then we end and we go, okay, cool, I've read it. You know what I think the coolest thing about this book is? Is that it says about itself that it's alive and active. Right? My grandpa is 89 years old and him and I will still chat, we'll, we'll FaceTime and as he FaceTimes me, only looking at his forehead, of course, right? Because that's how it works. Like, when we're FaceTiming, he'll tell me about what he's reading in the Bible, and he'll tell me about what God's teaching him. And I'm like, Gramps, at 89, like, haven't you read it? 
And he's like, oh yeah, but it's so good. God's teaching me and it's, and it's new and it's fresh. And I'm like, at 89? Like that's legendary. I, I, got, I got like 59 years to go before I'm, I'm at your level of understanding God's word. Like that's bananas that God is still teaching you. He's still working through it. Friends, if you make a habit now at 10, 11, 12, 13 years old of diving into God's word daily, it would blow me away to see where you're at in five years, in 10 years, as God teaches you through his alive and active word. Okay, but here's the reality. As you go from this place, day in and day out, your worldview is being formed. And what's a worldview? A worldview is simply this. It's the lens through which you view the world around you. And it's gonna, be, it's gonna determine how you make your decisions. And in this place, in this room, your counselors, up, us up here at Hume, what we want for you and what we're trying to teach is a biblical worldview. This is the world through the lens that God has given us. It'd be like taking glasses, putting them on on a daily basis and going, I want to see the world through a biblical worldview. Why? Because we believe that this is truth. This isn't just a good idea. This isn't just a, a philosophical construct that we go, well, this is how we become good people, or this is how we're nice to each other. This is about morality. No, friends, this story, the greatest story ever told, it's based on a historical fact. If you find the bones of Jesus, Christianity is false. Does that make sense? Like the truth of this is grounded in a historical moment. And if you find the bones of Jesus, if you disprove the fact that Jesus resurrected from the grave, friends, I quit my job tomorrow and I go and make a lot more money somewhere else because if this is all there is, then I'm not gonna waste my time trying to talk about a Jesus whose bones are in the ground. See, my greatest fear for you, can I be honest with you? My greatest fear for you is as you go down this mountain, my greatest fear is not that you're going to disprove Christianity. I, I've been doing ministry now for about 10 years, and I've, I very, very rarely, if ever, have had a conversation where a student walked up to me with evidence and went, see, this is why the Bible is false. This is why Jesus wasn't who he said he was. My greatest fear for you is not that you're going to disprove the Bible, Jesus, Christianity, and all of a sudden you're going to stumble upon some sort of evidence that disproves this. That's not my fear for you. You know what my greatest fear for you is? It's that you're going to settle for something less than life and life abundant. My greatest fear for you is that you're just going to slowly drift into a mediocre version of Christianity. And maybe you go, yeah, no, I think God's a good idea. I just had a conversation with one of my students back home where he went, I believe in like 75% of what you believe. Like I think Christianity is a good moral construct. And I just went, my friend, you're missing it. I don't do this for the moral construct. I do this because I am convinced that Jesus was who he said he was and is currently who he says he is 
and lived the life that I could not live and died the death that I deserved to die so that I might live the life that he deserved to live. And my hope is in Jesus and Jesus alone. This isn't about a 75% moral construct, but friends, look at me. I know it's early. My greatest fear for you is that you'll settle for just a mediocre version of Christianity, a mediocre version of walking with Jesus. And if we don't daily work on and build this biblical worldview, my greatest fear for a generation is that a solid majority of you will go, yeah, Christianity, it's a good idea. And then you'll become husbands and wives and fathers and mothers and doctors and lawyers and businessmen and businesswomen. And you'll walk through this world thinking that church is something that we do on Sundays. And that the Bible is an, it's, a, it's a good idea, but your life is not sold and surrendered to the God of the universe and the person of Jesus that offers life and life abundant. So the question begs itself, how? Right? And this is how I want to end, just giving you four things. How do we leave this place and build a biblical worldview? Okay? Write these four things down. Number one, worship. Worship through music specifically, okay? I believe we can worship in a variety of different ways, but I want to talk specifically about worship through music, okay? There is power in music, right? When was the last time uh, maybe you heard a song that you hadn't heard in forever, but you still know every single word to that song? You know what I'm talking about? For most of you, if I ask the question, if I asked you the question, okay, don't do this for the sake of losing all of you at the same time, but if I asked you the question, Hey, can you tell me the alphabet? Most of us would go A, B, C, D, E, F, G. Why? Because we learned it in song. Okay? Piper, most of her toys have some sort of cadence to them. And she has this one toy that's like this book that you open up and it's got a little like gold star in the bottom of it. And you press the gold star and it's like learning friends together in harmony. We're learning friends. And then it's got like, a, all like pages with things on it. And it's like cow, moo, moon. And like, I like to remix that sucker. I'm like cow, 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 moon, 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 moon. Learning friends, moon, 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 right? Like, I love those toys. Like, those things are fun. Yeah, but here's the worst part. If I go to the bathroom in the middle of the night and trip over one of her toys, y'all, nothing is more terrifying than like an echoey house in the middle of the night, and it's like, learning friends, and you're like, demons, okay? Like, what is happening right now? But why are Piper's toys set to song? Because this is how we learn. This is how we remember things. It's crazy. I can hear a song and it can take me back specifically to a place and a time. Right? This week as we sang a song like Canvas in the Clay, right? as we sing these songs that go, God, you are, you are this potter. You, you're, you are the creator. You're the author. God, would, you, would I remember who you are? And in light of who you are, would I remember who I am? If you have a Spotify or an Apple Music or YouTube playlist or whatever it is, make worship music a regular part of your life. Why? Because we are forgetful people. And my hope for you, my prayer for you is that you can wake up. You ever have a song stuck in your head and you like can't get it out? My, what if... 
what if, friends, we made worship music such a regular pattern in our life that the songs that were stuck in our head were biblical truth? Hey, let this become a regular practice of yours. Why? Because worship is something we are, not something we do. You are a worshiper. The question is not if you will worship. The question is who or what you will worship. If it's not God, I promise you it will be something else around you. It'll be little lowercase g gods that the Bible calls idolatry, and you'll make your life about sports, or you'll make your life about the opposite sex, or you'll make your life about relationships, or popularity, or success, or grades, or whatever it is. And none of those things are bad in and of themselves, but when they replace God, they become idols, and we start worshiping them. Make worship music a regular pattern of your life. Number two, okay, prayer. Prayer. Now, I talked about this a little bit last night, but prayer is simply this. It's spending time with the person that loves you the most. And prayer, it's, it's not about making you a better person. It's not about like uh, getting your list of things out. How often do we treat prayer like a, like a wish list? We go, God, can you give me this? And can you give me this? And can you give me this? Can you give me this? L- let me ask you a really convicting question for me. Hey, prayer is hard for me, if I'm just being totally honest. It's, it's something I, I struggle with. It's something I want to continue to practice more of. It's something that I've had the gift this week of being able to just go out to the lake and sitting by myself and just practicing. God, I just want to sit with you more. I just want to spend more time with you because I know that you love me deeply. And the more time I spend with you, the more that's going to become a part of my worldview. Hey, but friends, let me ask you a convicting question. If you talked to your best friend as much as you talked to God, would your best friend still be your best friend? Okay? Like, if, if I talked to Paige, my wife, the amount that I talked to God, how healthy would our marriage be? See, m- most of us go, man, I, I really want a relationship with God, but most of us in that same breath go, man, I, I just don't really experience God or I just don't really, like I don't feel like I know him really well and I feel like I don't really hear his voice and my, my follow-up question would, you to be, would be, how well do you know him? How much time do you spend with him? How much do you talk to him? Right? Like that's a really easy equation with friendships around us. If you had a friend move into town or if you started dating a girl, you started dating a boy and you just went like, man, I just don't really feel like I know him and I'm like, well, how much do you talk? Well, we talk like for 15 seconds before meals, and then I try before bed, but most of the time, you ever pray, your prayers ever go like this? Hey, God. <laughs> Friends, prayer, it, it is a powerful relational tool. Prayer should be more relational than rational. We can't just come to God and just ask him, hey, can you give me this, and can you give me this, and can you give me this, and can you give me this, amen. Can you imagine if you treated your friends that way? Hey, Susie, um, can you give me this, and can you give me this, and make sure you give me this, and oh, ooh, don't forget this. Bye. Susie would be like, okay, hi, how am I? Good. What's actually going on in your life? Great. That's a conversation that friends have, but that's not how we talk to God. Prayer, make it a part of your regular pattern of life. Make it a part of the worldview that you put on. Number three, God's word, Okay. And you might go, oh, preacher guy, talking about how we need to read our Bibles. So cliche, okay? 
Yes, but there's a reason that every person you've ever heard talk about a relationship with God talks about our need to read the Bible. But here's where, here's where we go wrong. If we just read the Bible like the magic eight ball from Toy Story, when you go, okay, God, what do you have for me today? Mm. When Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, returned safely to his place in Jerusalem, Jehu, the seer, the son of Hanani, went out to meet him and said to the king, should you help the wicked and love those who hate the Lord? Mm, that's good. <laughs> Thank you, Lord, right? No, friends, this is, this is one great story. It, it, it is an overarching narrative. We were meant to read the Bible in context. There's a reason when athletes write on their cleats, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength and lace up and then go, I'm gonna score a touchdown today. There's a reason any biblically sound theologian, follower of Jesus would look at that and go, psst, that's not about touchdowns. You can do all things through Christ who gives you strength. That doesn't mean you're gonna run faster, my friend. Paul wrote that in prison, going, I can experience famine and getting beaten and I can experience wealth and comfort because I can do all things who, through Christ who gives me strength. I can be confident because my hope is in him. But we write things on mugs and posters and go, this is my favorite verse. What does that mean? Do you know it in its context? Do you ever think the Bible's boring? I do. You ever open up the Bible and just go, what? I don't get it. Hey, where are my Marvel fans at? Yeah. Okay. Um, how many of you have seen the movie uh, Marvel Endgame? Yeah. Okay. In, in my experience with the Marvel Universe, there's two types of Marvel people. Okay? There are Marvel fans that are like, oh, I love Marvel. Okay? And then there are like Marvel people that are like me, that are like, yeah, like Marvel movies, they're good. There's like 21 movies all telling the same story. Like it's, it's, it's a good movie series. I'll sit through it, I'll go and watch it. Uh, my, our young adults program at my church, we rented out an entire theater to go watch Marvel Endgame. And uh, f to be totally honest, full confession, I haven't seen all the Marvel movies. I know, I know, I know. Okay, the people that are deeply offended right now are what I talked about. It's person number one. They're the Marvel people, okay? They're, they're like the Marvel universe. And so I'm sitting there watching this movie, and there's a scene in the movie where uh, Thor is, is kind of like backed into this rock, and then uh, what's the bad guy's name? Thanos, okay, geez, I'm so sorry. Okay, Thanos, Thanos has the, the, the massive axe and he's like pressing it into, it, it's a sword? Okay, sorry. He has some sort of weapon and he's pressing it into Thor's chest and you're kind of like, oh no, this is the end, right? Like this is why it's called Endgame. And, and, and in that moment, everybody's kind of freaking out and then all of a sudden, like, Something smacks Thanos, and then the camera does this beautiful thing where it like pans up over Thanos' shoulder, and there is Blue Spandex Boy, Captain America, and he's standing there, and he catches a hammer, and the entire theater loses its mind. Everybody goes, and I'm standing there, literally, people were going, he's worthy, and I'm, I'm, I'm sitting there going, 
what just happened, right? I'm like, I'm so confused. And I was sitting next to uh, my senior pastor's son, his name's Barrett, and I'm sitting next to him, and Homeboy is a Marvel fan, okay? And I'm sitting next to him, and I'm like, Bear, Bear, he's like, what? I'm like, geez, Bear, what just happened? And he's like, ugh. He's like so annoyed with me. I'm like, Bear, I don't understand. Like, why is that guy wearing blue spandex? He caught a hammer, and everybody said, he is worthy. I'm like, who is worthy? What's going on? What's happening? And he goes, oh, okay. You, oh, oh. He's like so annoyed. So okay, that's Thor's hammer. I'm like, mm-hmm. He goes, okay, well, when Thor was given that hammer, there's this inscription on the side of it, and the, the hammer has a name, and it's Jonathan or something, okay? And the, on the inscription on the side of the hammer, it says, only he who is worthy is, can yield this hammer. And I'm like, oh, that's why, like, big buff green dude Hulk, like, he tried to pick it up, and there's, like, this epic scene where he's, like, and his feet sink into the ground. He's, like, yes, that is why. I'm, like, okay, all right, all right, like, I'm starting to understand this, and he goes, only Thor can wield this thing, and so the fact that Captain America can wield it, it's, like, well, that's why in this moment that you go, Oh, like, because he was the skinny guy from New York that, like, went into that little machine, and they, like, pumped up the lights, and then he went, I can handle it, and then he came out as this, like, yoked six-foot-five guy with a shield, and you go, oh, he's starting to become the leader of the people, and then in this moment when all hell is breaking loose, he catches the hammer, and he's worthy, and I'm like, okay, this is starting to make sense to me. And I'm sitting there, and, and he's like, like so annoyed after like spew, spewing out all of this Marvel knowledge, like paying pictures from all these different movies that I haven't seen, and going, do you get it now? And I'm like, mm-hmm, 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 mm-hmm. Okay, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. But friends, this is what happens when we start picking up God's word, and we start reading it in its context. Okay, like, like when we open up the story of Exodus, and you just start reading this book, and you realize that in the book of Exodus, God rescues his people, an enslaved people, by confronting the evil in the world in the person of Pharaoh and the Egyptian army. And he rescues his people out of slavery. And then he offers them a way of escape through the blood of a lamb. And then he delivers his people through the waters of the Red Sea. And you start understanding the Bible in its context. When you open up the New Testament, and you realize that God is offering his people a way of escape through the blood of a lamb, namely Jesus Christ, and then delivers them through the waters of baptism as an outward symbol of an inward reality that they are no longer slaves, but they are free in the person of Jesus, you start going, maybe this is one great story. Maybe the Marvel Universe that made billions of dollars off of 21 movies that all tell one story, and when you're in the Marvel Universe, you see all of these connections, and in its context, you go, these movies are awesome. What if we started reading the Bible that way, that not 21 movies, but 66 books written over the course of 2,000 years by 40 different authors in three continents and three languages that tell one story? Do you know how wild that is? When 21 movies weave together one story, we go, whoa, our minds are blown. What if there was a story that started and then was finished 2,000 years later in written form and we still had it today? And there were 25,000 archaeological digs that confirmed its accuracy. Wouldn't we start reading this book differently? Wouldn't we start picking it up and going, 
Uh, well, friends, I, I believe this wholeheartedly. If you think the Bible's boring, it's because you haven't read it. It's because you haven't picked it up and, and understood it in its context. And if that's difficult, if that's hard, and I know it can be, find any one of the men or women in this room that have come up here and given a week up of their time and just say, hey, would you help me walk through a book of the Bible? Start with a gospel. Start with Mark. It's the shortest gospel of all time. It's like 12 chapters. It's like Mark's like the, the gospel for people like me that go, I don't really read. Mark's like, fantastic. Hey, I got a really short story for you. And I'm like, ooh, I like short stories. Pick up a gospel. Start asking the question, who is this Jesus character? And read it in its context. Okay, so number one, worship. Number two, prayer. Number three, God's word. Lastly, one another. Hey, we need one another. Over a hundred times in the New Testament, the words one another are used. We were never meant to do this Christian life alone. 59 of those 100 are direct commands. It's really hard to one another anything alone. Do you get that? Do you understand that? Okay, there's no such thing as a Christian who's isolated and by themselves trying to figure this thing out. Right? In the same way, there's no such thing as a zebra who's isolated and alone without a pack, guess what? They don't last very long. Ask Jamie, okay? Like when you see a zebra by itself, your next thought is, that's a dead zebra. Why? Because any zebra that's by himself, that's alone, that's out wandering, you go, mm, bye-bye, right? Like it's not gonna last very long. Friends, you were never meant to do the Christian life alone. You were never meant to just go out and try and figure it out by yourself. You need a church community. You, you need to lean into a group of guys or a group of girls. Scripture makes it very clear that there are two things, two opposite sides of a coin. On one side, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 33, says, do not be deceived. Anytime your Bible says do not be deceived, do you know why it says that? because we can get deceived in that area. Does that make sense, right? It's like, do not be deceived. And we go, well, that's not an issue for me. M maybe you're being deceived. It says, do not be deceived. Bad company corrupts good morals. Friends, who you surround yourself with matters. Remember we talked about the one degree? The people around you that will push you, that will challenge you, that will sharpen you, they matter. And the opposite side of that coin is Proverbs chapter 27, verse 17. It says, as iron sharpens iron, so one man or so one woman sharpens another. We need a community. Friends, these four things, if you write nothing else down, just write down worship, prayer, God's word, one another. If you want to start living with a biblical worldview and practicing and walking this out, let these four things be regular practices in your life. Okay, pray with me. God, thank you for this morning. God, thank you for the opportunity that we've had to gather here. God, would we be people that don't just wait for the next time that we can go to church, that don't just wait for the next time that we can come back to a place like Hume or go on a camp or a retreat. God, would we, would we walk with you daily? God, thank you for the men and women in this room. God, thank you for this, the fifth graders, the sixth graders, the seventh graders, the eighth graders in this room. God, would you raise up mighty men and women out of this room that would go to the ends of the earth 
and be light in the midst of darkness? Would we walk with you daily now? Would we make worship and prayer and reading your word and strong community, God, vulnerable community, would we make it a regular part of our life, a regular practice? And God, through walking with you in a very dark world, would we just be a beacon of light pointing towards you, pointing towards your kingdom? We love you. It's your name we pray. Amen.